You got any shinies, Dave? I've got loads, mate. I've got a massive pile of swaps. You're a massive pile of swaps. Great start here. Can Flint Dempsey score? Yes! The winners ahead! Oh, he's trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it! Chin! Chin out! Mezzanazzi! He's looking for three goals. He's yes! Hello, welcome to the Football Fives podcast, a weekly look at what's happening in the world's greatest sport. <coughs> my name is Chris D, and I'm joined by two of my favourite writers from the Huddersfield Examiner and a new dad. Uh, it's 2020 now, lads, so I'm going to introduce all of you in the traditional Football Fives manner. David Hartrick. Hello. What do you think was number one in the UK singles chart on your birthday in the year 2000? Yeah. I've been to the year 2000. Uh, I don't, honestly don't know. That was that was a time in my life I don't much remember listening to an awful lot of music. I ju- no Westlife. I just met my wife. Well, just started going out with my wife, I should say. I met her when I was 14, but she thought I was a complete turd until I was a lot older. So, yeah, we started going out at the back end of 1999. I can't really remember music. Good. It was Westlife. There was no music happening. <laughs> Uh, fool again? Anyone? I don't have a clue. No idea. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good. Is it not a good the best, but a good. Somebody else Ryan went to school with there. Uh... <laughs> uh, our third leg today is the newest member of the Football Fives team, and we welcome him with open arms, Stephen Chicken. Hi there. I have been discussing the third you. leg before. To be fair, um, oh, here he is. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm really not sure. I'm trying to think. It, Westlife is a good shout because they had a load of back-to-back number ones. Uh, but I honestly have no idea. Put me out my misery. My thirteenth birthday. It was music by Madonna. Oh, uh, that's. Which is terrible, no matter what you're about wasn't, to say. Wasn't that the uh, theme song for Austin Powers Two? Wasn't that the the video? No, it was the one. No, with that was Beautiful Stranger. Oh, you're right. In the limousine. Yeah, you're right. Yes, you're right. In my head, I mixed up Austin Powers and, and Ali G because all early noughties pop culture references are blended into one in my adult mind, apparently. <laughs> and finally, we've got my old mate, Ryan Keeney. Congratulations, Ryan. Thank you very much, Chris. How is it going? I'm almost uh, scared to ask. Yeah, really good. Uh, I'm very tired, uh, but uh, BB Ewan, hello if you're listening. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's been a delight so far. Um yeah, seems to be getting on with things. We could do with him sleeping a little bit more, but other than that, he's, uh, he's very good. That's enough of that, right? Number one on your birthday, year 2000. Uh, probably a Westlife song, I think. Um, although... Half right. Oh, really? Oh, was it with uh, Mariah Carey? Did they do a duet <laughs> together? How do you know that? I have no <laughs> recollection of this song ever existing. It is that. Oh, okay. Against All Odds. Yeah, why? Who yeah, they that? did a cover, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Terrible stuff. You should never I, I, ever cover Steve Brookstein. 
Beautiful Stranger, that was the Austin Powers one. <laughs> it's weird having Steve here because, like, you were my original podcast husbands, and now you've brought my new podcast husband in, and it just feels really awkward for me. Yeah. It is quite strange. I've got a podcast with Stephen separate to this as well. So it's always very weird. And Ryan, we go back podcasting to 2011, something like that. Yes, I think so, 2010. Could have uh, been. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It's nice to be on a podcast with Stephen after um, hearing good things about him. So, yeah. Aww, yeah, thanks. Pleasant. I think you and I have to start our own podcast. I think that's the law, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure one. we'll. I'm sure we'll come up with an idea soon. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to Ryan and Dave's you, podcast happening every other year. Do you like golf by any chance, Stephen? Well, no. <laughs> Sunshine on magic. Right, um, let's get on with a football podcast, shall we? Mine was Stomp by Steps, which, honestly, again, I can't remember. No idea. I can only assume no. it was the musical equivalent of a war crime. Um, enough of that. Question one of our five. We are back at least once. Stephen Chicken to get you get you started in your first show. Question one this week. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that about sums it up. I think this is the most difficult question we're going to face on the show because it's so open ended and there's so many ways we can talk about it. But there's varying degrees of spilling our guts that we could go through, um, which I'm I'm not intending to do with any of you. <laughs> How's the season been for you so far? Yeah, it's been interesting. So it's it's been my first season as a full-time journalist, having been sort of freelance for about nine or ten years before that. I've been working for Huddersfield Examiner, covering Huddersfield Town. Obviously, new, they got relegated in the first game I covered for them, which was good, uh, away at that team that Dave doesn't like me to mention. And uh, obviously, the, the season didn't start so well. They had one point from the first eight games. But it's really turned around since Danny Cowley came in, to be fair. They've had a bit of a rough patch sort of around the turn of the new year. But after a few, not to date the podcast horrendously, but with some January signings that are looking good, there's uh, a bit of optimism that they're not going to do a Sunderland, which is about the limit of the expectations for the rest of the season. Harch, all right? Yeah, not bad. You? Yeah. Yeah. Sound. You, you're you're spending some time with Huddersfield as well. Yes, I am. I've been up to Zing Ground Analyst for, for I think it's my fourth season, third season, fourth season. I think so. I've seen uh, all the way through the Premier League, and then this season, uh, I've also been doing some stuff for the Examiner and various other bits and bobs. And me and Steve do the Examiner's Huddersfield Town podcast. So. Yeah, it's been it's you know that side of things has been fine, but the season generally it's been quite good really because I've quite enjoyed watching Brighton, even though we keep uh, playing really really well, dominating possession, doing some lovely stuff, looking like a Poundland Man City, and then losing two now. That seems to be our season in a nutshell, really. But it is interesting, and I am enjoying watching us. So I can't really ask for more than that. I. Also, semi-support a team in the Premier League, and they are newcomers this season after a few years out. And it's been a really strange experience, kind of coming back into the Premier League as a Villa supporter and experiencing VAR firsthand for the first time properly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also just re-engaging with the the financial gap 
is incredible because that Villa's squad is not worth remotely what it should be for the amount of money that was spent last summer because of all the loans that came before it in the promotion season. There was a lot of money spent that just had to be spent and didn't actually improve the squad by the, the scale that it might have for, for someone else. So we still have a squad that is very much worse than Liverpool, Man City and, and a few others. And going into games knowing that you might get an absolute kicking is not a pleasant thing to kind of re-experience after a few years without it. No, um, it sounds... So I've been on and off with the league this year. Really. It sounds horrifically pompous knowing how you know how many teams are desperate to be there and Brighton are only in their third season. But there's like, I don't know, there's like, depending on your viewpoint, there's anywhere between 10 and 16 games a season, home and away, that you look at and you think, yeah, we're, we're just not going to win that. So here's... Mm. Here's hoping it. <laughs> let's just get this over with and and look at a game we might actually get something from, and that's what being in the Premier League like is is you know that's what it is now. I'm not sure it's a not sure it's a particularly healthy thing in truth. I figured out quite early on in the season what I thought might take Villa down, and it's their complete inability to mess with someone else's narrative. Um, and it was the Newcastle win against Spurs quite early on that made me worry that what was going to happen is all of the teams around the bottom would generally go with form but give someone a bloody nose every now and then and to this day Villa haven't shown an ability to nick a three points at Spurs to get a fluky result against Man City nick something off Chelsea or Arsenal and these are the games where traditionally you would say that these aren't the matches that will define your season but actually, I'm a little bit worried that that's exactly what's going to define our season. And we're going to fall short because we didn't pull one of those results out of the bag and everybody else has managed to. Yeah, it, we thankfully we have pulled a couple out already. And I think we'll be fine because we've got a, not an easy run of fixtures, but we've got some very winnable games coming up. But it's, it's a weird old experience being a Premier League fan at the moment. It's It's changing and evolving. Perhaps we should answer a question about that at some point. Perhaps we should. Uh, Ryan, Hello. You, I imagine you spent all of New Year's Day just sat in front of BT Sport. Nothing else uh, going on? Yeah, no, New Year's Day was fine. Um, that was all right. It was uh, a lot of kind of glancing across the sofa and checking that my wife was all right. But yeah, New Year's Day was okay. Uh, it was everything after that. Uh, things got turned up down, side down. So yeah, I'm generally all right. Um, oh, I was. I've, I've kind of had a weird moment Uh since getting my new son home, where I've realised I don't support a football team anymore. Um, and uh, it's really odd. Um, I, and I got, I, I've got steadily more and more upset. And I think I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I don't necessarily have a football team to bestow, bestow upon him. Um, but as he grows and becomes a football fan, I hopefully, just as long as it's not rugby league, to be honest, I'll take any other sport. Um, but as he grows to become a football fan, um, we'll get to pick his club together um, and figure all of that out. Um, so yeah, so I've had a couple of moments where I've not felt all right, and I felt like not that I want to go back to being a Manchester United fan because I think that uh feeling is gone completely. Um, but yeah, I, I probably should have got myself in order and and had somebody else that I could um, sort of my. It's it's mostly the fact that I can't buy any baby football stuff. Um, I can't put them in silly baby groves um, or anything like that with with teams badges on there. 
Um, as much as I want to buy a Boca Juniors baby girl, um, my wife won't let me. Boca what? Juniors Juniors. Boca Juniors Juniors, indeed. Have you already, have you already got him uh, a Corfball team to support? Yeah, 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 obviously. Um, he's all about Leeds City Golf Ball Club. And uh, yeah, we're big Rory McElroy golf fans. So yeah. he's, he's got all the replica night kit for that. Yeah, I assume you've got him in Gryffindor for Quidditch as well, yeah? yeah I have no idea what that is. <laughs> You could develop a football affinity together. Um, exactly, yeah. yeah. Nice. So I've got to avoid that. Like, we'll, we'll get to some Fuzzy Celtic games and we'll, uh, when he eventually comes around to it. I mean, I appreciate that's a long way off. That's quite a few years and I've got to keep him alive until then. So, you know, priorities. It's not easy, yeah, right? I'm good. Take it from experience. It's not easy, that. No. Um, yeah, my washing machine hasn't stopped, Dave, which I, when you told me that, I was a bit baffled as to how uh, one little thing could create so much washing, but yeah. yeah. Have you dealt with the Poonami yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I I mean, I got I got weed in my face on the second day when he was still in the hospital, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the first Poonami I ever dealt with was, it, that was a real eye-opener. Eye I think she was shitting things out I'd eaten, never mind what she did. It was absolutely <laughs> dreadful. I don't know where it came from. Oh, me and Dave are going to do a new dad's podcast. That's yeah, if the do. mommy bloggers are finished, let's move on to question <laughs> yeah. two. My two dads. I assume we're not talking about my actual team then. <laughs> no. No. They've only dropped two points all season, lads. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it was an open-ended question. You made your choice. All right. Um, now, Ryan has uh, upset at least one of our listeners with a reference to rugby league. Uh, we've got a question from another one. We did a quiz in our last episode last week, right? Um, and Ryan dropped that on us out of nowhere. And we had previously asked for some listener questions. So we've kept a couple of those in. The first one of those is from Bob Priestley. And question two this week, which I'll pick up first because I could talk about the Villa again, is what's been the best moment in football since you last released an episode before the last one that you released? Um, <laughs> and for me, and it's such a weird thing because I'm... I'm sort of struggling to get back into life as a Premier League supporter. The Championship playoff final, after losing the season before and actually being there, was such a moment in my football life. And it, I kind of went up and was around loads of Villa supporters who seemed to be really trepidatious about it. The year before when Villa lost to Fulham, I got to London that morning and... I swear to God, my hole did not settle all day. I was so nervous. I've never been more nervous about a football match ever. This time round, felt really confident. And it, it felt like this was Derby's day out and we were there just to get the job done. And that's kind of how it played out as well. So seeing a Dean Smith Villa team unexpectedly reach the playoffs, get through them and win the final was really special. Seeing Jack Grealish celebrating in front of us was really special. Seeing him lift the trophy, which is weird because I don't really think there should necessarily be one. That was really special. But I was stood at Wembley underneath the um, the Royal Box watching that game, celebrating, and I roared when that trophy was picked up. And I was stood next to my dad the whole time. And it was like the first time maybe ever that it had been that important to kind of be with him for those games. There was a, an FA Cup semi-final um, against Stevens' team that was close, but it was a semi-final. Um, and then we had two 
League Cup wins in the 90s and I was sat separate from him for one of those. So it's kind of a real sort of family thing. Just Villa as family, family as family and just a wonderful occasion. And I don't think I'll ever beat it really because they're certainly not going to be winning anything more significant than that anytime soon. He says, hoping to be proved wrong within a matter of weeks. Um, and I don't get to a lot of my actual local team with my dad. So it's kind of a slightly deeper than just football, but a very meaningful moment for me. And also got filler in the Premier League, which kind of felt like it had to happen because things were starting to get pretty bleak. Dave? Uh, well, three things, really. As a man who All often right, wears his... Here we go again. Often wears his football-induced erections on his sleeve. I've got three, really. Uh, and that is uh, Ali Ankabash scoring against Bournemouth and crying on the pitch and just that release. I'm an absolute sucker for something like that. Uh, Panini releasing Football 2020. Actually a proper Panini football sticker album, which is genuinely great as well. Absolutely superb. I need about 140 to complete the album. I will get there. But, I mean, like, if we're talking since we last, last recorded, not since we last recorded, then there is only one erection worth talking about, and that is the penalties against Colombia. A sort of moment in time (laughs) where I shouted myself so hoarse that I had to do a podcast with Chris the next day and could barely speak. And I was hosting it, and I managed to get through it. I'm not saying I was as drunk as I've ever been in my life, but it was certainly in my top three drinks. Uh, And yeah, just every single moment of it was just unbelievable. I watched it in a pub called The Wireworks in Lindley. Didn't stay in for it, wanted to go out for it. When the penalties came on, debated, genuinely debated walking home. I thought, sack this, we're not going to win. Stayed to watch them. And uh, yeah, that, that... push my wedding day and my kid being born down to number two and three, let me tell you. <laughs> we haven't made enough of Jordan Pickford's iron wrist in that game, I think, as a nation. No, we haven't. We haven't. But unfortunately, he's then proved in various games for Everton to actually have chocolate wrists. <laughs> yes, he has. I can't believe it's been that long since we last recorded, yeah, last it, recorded a podcast. I, I, don't, I don't think it actually has, not to whittle on anyone's chips there. But... Uh... <laughs> No. I think that's that's. I think you've gone back a year more than you needed to there. Dave. I, just, I just want to talk about the penalties. The yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, as a man who is, is not a fan of Eric Dyer, he will forever be special to me because of that penalty shootout. Can we just talk about the penalties rather than do these other questions? Because some of them aren't very good. We should do a Styles Council special on that shootout, though. Yes, we should. And one I can actually talk during this time. Yeah, we'll go back, we'll go back. Uh, Stevie Chicks. Hi there, it's the 4-0 against Barcelona, if we're excluding the quiz. Um, It had to be. And if we're going for one moment in particular, then it's Trent Alexander-Arnold's rapidly taken corner kick for Divic Origi to put away. A player that we've talked about on Footy Fidelity, available wherever you get your podcast now. Isn't that right, Chris? In the cult hero section. In the cult hero section. Yeah. Um, obviously, the first leg against Barcelona in the semis of the Champions League was one of those games where it's like, there's nothing we could have done differently there. They just had Messi who took his chances and, you know, goals that were unstoppable no matter what you did. 
and you know we just had a bit of bad luck at the other end and and that was the game and sort of watched the second leg obviously not expecting very much despite Liverpool's sort of history of of comebacks and uh, and then we we got the comeback. It's just a shame that the, the the final was a bit of a damp squib, but we won it, so I don't particularly care. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp has a very positive outlook on that first leg, um, and I heard him do an interview in between the legs. I think where he he wasn't able to really pick fault because no, it was it, just one of those games. Yeah, it genuinely was. Like I said to Nicky, we'd just been done by Messi there. Like there's. There's nothing else they could have done differently in that game at all. They actually played really well. They might um, have been all over as well. Yeah, and it, yeah, it may well have been, um, but it is now, and Liverpool won it. So, you know, suck that Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool won it, and they never won again. Uh, Ryan Keeney, best thing that's uh, happened in football since. Yeah, so the day the the week before we recorded the last last podcast uh, was the Euro 2020 qualifying draw. Um, and Northern Ireland got thrown into a group with the Netherlands and Germany, and it was, I, I, I think I accepted, and not so Northern Ireland fans accepted. We were, we, we just need to secure a third place, a group, and we did that within four matches. Um, we won four games in a row, four competitive qualifying matches in a row, uh, beat Belarus, beat Estonia. Um, a couple of them were, oh sorry, one of them was from behind and and relatively late on. One, we just took the lead and and kept it. Another, we were kind of pegged back. It was all. Very good, very on Northern Ireland of us, um, and it was quite nice and and kind of wrapped everything up and gave us four free hits at, at Germany and the Netherlands in the last four games, which we didn't take. Um, and I didn't think we would, and and kind of expected those two to go through as the automatic qualifiers. But yeah, that was nice. Um, it was it was weird to have expectations and be relatively confident Northern Ireland would meet them um, in that qualifying campaign that we could beat uh, Belarus and, and Estonia teams that we might otherwise feel to break down and be fairly secure we'd then get a Nations League playoff a Euro 2020 qualifying playoff through it um, and we still have a chance of, of being there What's your view on the managerial situation? Yeah uh, it, I can't fault Michael O'Neill for leave um, and he's done such an incredible job since he took over in uh, 2012 and, and kind of started and, and, it, and even was very open with fans that he knew things would go backwards under him to begin with because he wanted to bring through the right players and, and create the right environment and, and have the right squad so I can't really fault him for thinking that this is the end of it and he wanted to try something else and, and kind of kick off it's a weird limbo now that mm. if we get through, that doesn't. I don't. How much time does he have to prepare? And and who he absolutely should be the guy to take Northern Ireland to Euro twenty twenty. I was going to say a country there, but there isn't a whole country. He should absolutely be there if they come through the playoff. Um, and mostly for the shits and giggles of Northern Ireland playing two of their championship matches, two of the Euro group games in Dublin. Um, if we we get there, but. Yeah, it's it's awkward. Um, it, it's kind of interesting who would be kind of lined up and and how how much he wants to kind of put onto his assistant. So like Jimmy Nickel would probably have to do a lot of preparation, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff as as he's got still to kind of deal with. So yeah, it's it's weird. I don't think I think 
we've assumed we're not going to get through. We're not. We're going to lose to Bosnia or in the the final. That I, I think it's. Yeah, it feels a bit defeatist to have let him go, but I absolutely understand that. You don't. He didn't. He couldn't turn down that Stoke opportunity. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting it to end with that sentence. Um, question three. I'm going to throw it to you, Dave, to start with because it's tactical, and I know you like all that stuff. Um, it's a, another of our listener questions from our last but last but effort, uh, and it's from Rich Newbold, who wants to know why our team's feeling compelled to use the short goal kick, even though it appears obvious to me, the idiot, Rich the idiot, not me, the idiot, different idiots, that the risk isn't worth the gain of beating the forward press. Well, I mean, to put it in really boring terms, what you're trying to do is create space in midfield. Um, and trying to create pockets of space ahead of you instead of knock it out your feet and lump it long. But me and Steve do a lot of championship football and the amount of sides in the championship that use the short goal kick and do absolutely nothing with it. it I mean, it genuinely is no advantage to them whatsoever because they pass it to a defender who's in the penalty area and he genuinely just tonks it long, which the goalkeeper could have done. No problem whatsoever. So it's a funny one. I don't think teams are using it properly. The thing is, it's it's a, like it's a tactic that Man City were the first to sort of noticeable, really, really employ it an awful lot when Pep came in to bring teams onto them and to retain possession and, and what have you. But yeah, there's a lot of teams who are just using it for the sake of using it and not doing what <laughs> thinking they're doing something clever when they're actually not I mean Huddersfield Town themselves are terrible for it aren't they Steve they literally just knock oh, it to yeah. one of the centre halves who then just punts it past the halfway line and you think well just get your team 20 yards higher up the pitch see if you do lose it you can catch them on the offside and let your goalkeeper do that so yeah it's there is a reason for it but I will not mm. deny that most teams are pretty poor at it it's, it's interesting watching teams who aren't good at it and don't seem to have the end game in mind still do it um, and there's been a lot of it going around when we were originally going to answer this question it, Opta had just put out a graphic it was quite early in the season um, showing the Premier League goalkeepers who'd used the inbox goal kick the most and the least all the way through the first I think it was about six or seven games Dave, do you know who had played the most at that stage of the season? It wouldn't surprise me if it was us, if it was Brighton. Yep. Yep, Matt Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I he mean, was. we, the way Brighton play, we don't use it too badly because we're massively about possession-based football and short passing and beating the press by trying to draw a team on. But there are other teams that, like, I mean, even in the Premier League, like, I don't know, Croydon, uh, who don't use it very well at all. And every time I've seen Groydon play this season, they're doing the Huddersfield Town thing of every time they use it, you think, well, there was literally no point in doing that. All you've done is you've just given the opposition forwards another 10 yards to stay on side. By. On the uh, aforementioned optographic, there were three goalkeepers at that point who had not used a single inbox goal kick. Any guesses? I mean, I've got the graphic there's, in front of me. There's a tap in. <laughs> Is it Croydon? No. Uh, 
Burnley. Nick Pope. Is it? Does it include? Oh, I'm trying to think. Subkeepers as well. Angus Gunn. No, it's, it's, it's very much first choices. Angus Gunn. No. Alex McCarthy. <laughs> Who's Southampton's third choice? So I can say him next. Ben Foster. No, Martin Dubravka. Right. And Dean Henderson. Uh, yeah. That's quite surprising. This was early actually. in the season. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a promoted team playing it safe early on. I bet it's a bit different now. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, you have piped up, so pipe on. Um, yeah, I think it's. I'm kind of agreeing with the uh, the question asker um, and in Rich and that. I don't know if the risk is worth the gain. Then you kind of... I, I, the way I say it is that you're guaranteed to pass the ball to one of your own teammates. That there's no Good way a goalkeeper... There, the, the goal, there's no way the goalkeeper can mess up that short pass. 99.9% of the time it will go to a defender who will then have an opportunity to potentially turn with the ball or give it back to the goalkeeper and at least force the opposition into doing something. Whereas if you're just going to punt it up the field from the goal kick, you've got... A cluster of bodies around the ball when it drops, and the chances of you retaining possession and being able to start an attack are not as good. So, yeah, I, I think for some teams it works. I just don't know if all of those teams have worked out if they're good enough for it yet, or had, and or are still figuring it out. Um, I think those teams they probably see themselves as teams that want and and a style of football that means they want to move the ball and pass the ball and retain possession and therefore do this um but then as yeah kind of as you mentioned like Sheffield United Newcastle uh Burnley all strike me as the kind of sides that and the coaches they would go no that's not for us it's not worth um welcoming pacey strikers onto us and, and welcoming that pressure let's just get it get it as far away from our goal as possible and, and hope for a knockdown um so yeah I I don't mind it if that's the way you're going to be set up and uh, and you've got the players and you've got the belief that you can play your way out of it. But if you're going to just do um, knock around a couple of passes and then hoof it, yeah, what's the point? Check. Yeah, I mean, I think we're one of the only countries in the world that cheers when we get a goal kick and the numbers <laughs> show that the number of goals that actually come from, you know, putting the goal kick forward are very is very low. No, it's. Um, I think part of it's novelty value. I think it's just... What happens if we try this? What will the opposition do? Um, because it's it's brand new this season, as far as I'm aware. Or was it the season before? Um, no, either way, this it's, season. It was a rule change for this yeah, season. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, so it's a new thing for this season. And yeah, I think there's a, there's a bit of, well, what happens if we do do this? We've all, I mean, I'm quite partial to just pressing X on a goal kick on Pro Evo. <laughs> so I can't really fault teams for doing it. I That's think it annoying depends. when it goes wrong, though, isn't it? When you don't mean it. Yeah. Well, it's when you're used to playing against the computer who doesn't close you down and then you play against a mate and, you know, they make you look like a fool uh, immediately that you've got an issue there. But I think also if you've got, if you're playing Sergio Aguero up front, it's different to if you're playing Andy Carroll up front for all kinds of different reasons. But long long goal kicks is, is certainly one of them. Um, but I think... The, the other two have, have covered it pretty well there. It's been funny seeing how it quickly it's just become a part of the game that nobody really talks about. Do they do is it as things, Chris? Um, it depends on who is playing against whom and 
pitch quality and occasion. But yeah, there are plenty of teams. But they have done league. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I was watching. Us. A, I was watching a non-league side recently, and they were doing it, and I was like, "There's literally no point to you doing it because no. they, they because of the conditions and all the things you've just yeah. identified." The goalkeeper was it's, literally it's not really our way. out to a six foot four defender who was punting it as hard <laughs> as he could into the wind. Yeah, we're we're pretty good at um, at punishing teams that that do it badly, but it doesn't happen very much now. I think it, again, it was the novelty that. That brought it in a little bit, and when you get on a three G and you've got some good football insides at that level, then it does happen. But um, the the outcome that is intended is is not easy to shape. Um, so doing it for the sake of doing it is is not ideal. Um, I thought it was an interesting question because at the time it was what everybody was was talking about, possibly other than, than VAR, um, and it was going to usher in this new tactical epoch. Um, and it's not that, but it does. And I think the intention was that it would smooth the way for the teams who already want to play this way, who are already capable of, of creating those spaces. Um, and it, it's led to some errors, some pretty funny ones as well. Um, but I think the risk that uh, Ryan spoke about, that risk over the course of a season is why this style of play has, has developed and why the sweeper-keeper came about and why teams play out from the back in general the risk is built into the way those teams play when you look at goalkeepers over the course of a season the benefit of that if you're good at it at the highest level is absolutely worth the cost of a cock up or two over the season because it defines the whole way you play and if you can do that concede a goal every now and then because of it once maybe two times a season Probably worth it, I think. And but I'm I'm talking Champions League level there. Yeah, but uh, there are there are shifts, Chris, for which that rings true. Not just with the short goal kick, you know. Some sometimes team wants teams want to play in a way where yeah they will concede a couple of goals a season, but that's what they believe in and that's what they want to yeah. do. We've at Huddersfield Town this season. Me and Steve have seen it with playing out from the back. Tommy Elphick couldn't uh, drop to right bollock at Blackburn away. But there was yeah. no nobody leaping on top of him afterwards because that's that's what yeah. he's been told to do. So it's not just these short goal kicks. I think football is it is changing at all levels. I, I'm not one of them who likes that and you say Pep Guardiola's not having an effect and all that rubbish. But there is there is something happening at all levels at the moment that is changing how future generations are going to see football. And this short goal kick will just be part of your armoury, won't it, when people have mastered it? Yeah, I think the the bigger picture is about space and about risk. Um, Identifying a low-risk way of finding gaps, of which this is one, I think that's the way we're going to be going. And the trick for the coaches is to convince the players that it's okay. You've got to do it this way. If it goes wrong, that's on the system, not on you. Particularly with goalkeepers. Because those guys can beat themselves up over, over errors because they lead so directly to negative outcomes. If they're wrapped up in the overall confidence of the system, they can concede a goal and... and just turn up the next week and it's all forgotten. And I think that's the approach to risk 
that we're going to be taking as a football nation as we as we go forward. I think my favourite thing about these goal kicks is that the teams that do it are also the teams that play that lovely ball over the press. I'm a sucker mm. for that pass. Mm. I love those teams that they start off a move with a two-yard pass from a goalkeeper to a defender inside the box and you think it's all going to be tap, tap, tap all the way up the pitch. They're pinging the ball, these teams. Yeah, I mean, that that's the whole point, isn't it? Is to yeah. draw the opposition onto you so that you can try and get it in behind them. You know, you, you, mm. because, you know, you see how compressed. It's about as tight as it gets when teams are setting up to receive a goal kick. Everyone sort of goes and stands in the same sort of 30 square yards of space. It's just a way of, of breaking it back, back out. Not to go, not to mention rugby league again, Ryan, but it is a bit like the uncontested scrums they have in rugby league. The whole point of it is just to get the the forwards out of the way so that the backs can can play their their nice rugby. Right, that's and a I yellow, Steve. That, <laughs> that's a yellow. But I think, but I think that's yeah. how I think that's how teams are trying to use the short goal kicks as well. Is let's just get these players out of the way so that we can open up space further up. Yeah. So I think we we agreed that it's used a lot and not entirely by teams that are doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Agreed. It seems that it seems that it's interesting you mentioned non-league, Dave, because I imagine there's a certain amount of, and you would know better than me, Chris, delusions of of grandeur and oh, I can do that <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It happens <laughs> occasionally. There are some terrible hairdos. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, right, question four is coming straight to you, Stephen, um, and it is: Have you ever noticed? That when wasps congregate near some goalposts, it gets more condensed the closer it is to the goal. Yeah, I have noticed that. It's like players try to receive a goal kick. And I think the, the best way to sort this out is to get some wasps on a bar stool and run back and forth under the goalposts and see see how they react. Anyone else? <laughs> I think Steve has covered that ground adequately. <laughs> Good. Right, real question. Is time up for the League Cup? Is this still coming to me? Yeah, why not? Sure. Uh, no, I really like the League Cup. Um, I, I always think it's a more interesting and exciting competition than the FA Cup. It's it's kind of nice to have something early in the season that gets launched on you and it's like, oh, we're, we're playing a cup game, are we? And you know that they're going to play the kids and you know that that's you know, it's not going to be all your megastars out. But that just means that you get results like Liverpool 5, Arsenal 5. Um, I, I did go and do a bit of research, which I'm not sure if that's allowed on this podcast. And I had a look back at, you know, the, the last sort of 20 years of League Cup finals. And I had wanted to make the point that, that smaller teams have a chance to get to the final much more often than they do in the FA Cup. Unfortunately, nope. that no, that doesn't bear out <laughs> at all. City have won three of the last four. Um, you know, Swansea are the last team that won it sort of unexpectedly. But then they also played Bradford City in that final. Um, so at least you get a, a broader variety of defeated finalists for whatever that's worth. Um, you know, just looking at the last 20 years, we've had, you know, Tranmere Rovers, Bolton Wanderers, Wigan Athletic... Cardiff. Uh, some of these have actually lost the FA Cup as well, haven't they? Bradford, Sunderland, Southampton. The only thing I would say about the League Cup uh, 
as a negative is I don't like the two-legged semis. That's you're a, a two-legged bit... semi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we've all been there. No, it's uh, yeah. I think that the two-legged semis are a bit of an anachronism. Um, and they should probably get rid of them. But I like that there's a competition that's done by February. I think if you were designing the competition from scratch and designing English football from scratch now, you absolutely would not have the League Cup. But I kind of like it for what it is, and I often think it offers better entertainment value than the FA Cup. Which Oh, I, I disagree. I think if you were designing English football from scratch right now, the League Cup would definitely hang around, because you would... Uh, you would definitely... Like... The third tier of, of English football league um, would be regionalised. It would be north and south. Uh, so the League Cup would give you opportunities for those teams um, in those regional areas to play against each other and, and do kind of trips. And, and maybe the games would be therefore be on the weekend and with the league fixtures uh, pushed to midweek. Uh, but I, I really like the League Cup. I think it's it's got a, definitely got a place. Um and as we uh, kind of, as football comes to terms with the effect that it has on things like climate change, um, regionalised leagues are going to become more important. The third tier um, is definitely going to be regionalised north and south, and therefore the League Cup, giving you that variety of opposition and um, being free reign for teams in the, the north and south to play each other, um, will be will be quite welcome. And as we saw pre Christmas, um, the League Cup is more important than the Club World Cup. Um, as the game didn't get postponed or rearranged, uh, Aston Villa played Liverpool, um, whereas the Premier League game Liverpool against West Ham did get rearranged and postponed. So, you know, League Cup trumps Club World Cup trumps Premier League. Quite right. Yeah. Any more, Ryan, or are we moving on? Uh, no, that's it, really. I, I really like the League Cup. Um, I, I think for the reasons that Steve's mentioned, it's, it's over early. I'd bring the whole thing forward a bit more and try and get it out of the way pre-Christmas, kind of have it as a first half of the season thing. I feel like once you get to the quarterfinal stage, it really slows down and, and gets a bit yeah. Flurry. It's it's once it gets sort of crossing over, starts crossing over with the FA Cup, it feels yeah. a bit yeah. yeah. What, why it. are we still doing this? Doesn't it? Yeah, get it separate. Get it in the first half of the year, um, and uh, yeah, let's keep it going. I think it's probably going to get a rethink. I I don't think it needs one necessarily, but if it helps it to survive, then I'm all for having a look at what what maybe we can do. Um, it's one of those things that helps to make English football a bit different, which I like. I think the argument that nobody else has three competitions now, to me, is a, an argument in its favour rather than against it, which is how it's usually usually yep. used. Um, we could just leave it and let the elite teams ignore it, like they supposedly already do. Bloody um, elites doing what they want. <laughs> yeah. Um it does lose a bit of prestige, so it might be that a reboot helps to helps to overcome a bit of stagnation there. European place at the end of it, beautiful, happy with that. Um, and although I'm loath to fix anything just because the top few managers bitch about too much football, which is one of your buttons, Dave. <laughs> um, I am open to ideas because we're in the real world here, and and the reality is this thing is going to die if we let it die. Um, it has been innovated upon over the years that we have one-legged finals now. We have uh, one-legged early rounds now, straight to penalties. So I think the question for me is what is going to come next. And it could be under-23s, which is not really my preferred approach. 
not, no, not officially. Mean, is, that's how it's being addressed by the, the top clubs anyway. So let's leave it at that. Um, and I saw, I can't remember who it was. Somebody with a name mentioned earlier uh, inviting Scottish teams. No, well, which is just that. mad enough to work. They do, don't they do that in the Scottish League Cup? Don't they invite Welsh teams? Well, Welsh and Northern Irish teams, yeah. 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 The, the problem is, is that we've seen with, uh, we've seen with the Johnson's Paint Trophy or whatever it's called now, that the, the Autoglass Trophy, that that people don't really like the novelty value. They don't like it being seen as a plaything. They don't like under twenty threes. I think people like the purity of just this is a competition. These are the teams that are in it. If they want to go and win it, they can. Um, and I mean, it's been an absolute disaster. The, the JPT revamp mm. that they've done over the last few years. And I just think that's a bit of a, a word of caution that they really, really, really need to take heed of if they're looking at, at reforming the, the league cup. Do you think it can survive in a similar form to what it's at now? Because the criticism's just never ending nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, who's criticising it? I mean, I, I really think it's fun. Is it? Is it? Is it managers? Yeah, it's what, I think it's it? one of those where it becomes said so often by managers that it then seeps into the press and it then seeps into the public, and all of a sudden, it's generally accepted that having a third cup is mad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've not heard from Dave yet. No, I. I've answered this question on this podcast before and I went and revisited my answer and I stand by it really, which is that the competition needs to stay. I think you're wrong. I think you you embrace the under-23 element of it. You you make it so each team can have three overage players on the pitch at any time, uh, but everybody else has to be under the age of, of qualify for under-23s. And you regionalise it, you know, as Ryan said, that was that was my solution way back in uh, 2017, and it's still my solution now. To be honest with you, I think I I ditch the. I think everybody, particularly sitting here, is yearning for FA Cup semi-finals at Hillsborough and Aston Villa. So <laughs> I don't know why the FA doesn't make the League Cup semi-finals one-offs at, at a neutral venue for a bit of novelty kitsch value you know don't announce those venues before the semi-finals are done so again you can keep them regional you know if you've got two northern sides drawn together then put it at old trafford or what have you or you know if, if it's one end of the country to the other it's got to be somewhere in birmingham but yeah i i think there's lots of ways i i think managers moaning about there being too much football is completely redundant argument um and we shouldn't even dignify it by talking about it and yeah, I think you just just embrace the under twenty three side. This is why, this is why clubs have squads. You know, League Two and League One sides can do what they want, but champion Premier League sides have to do their under twenty threes, lead into it, make it interesting. I think I think it'd be a great watch, to be honest with you. Do you want to move on to question five and start us there, Dave? Yeah, can do. Good. Uh, question five: If Harry Kane doesn't play again for Spurs this season. Should he be omitted from the England squad for the European Championships? No, but there's a big difference between being omitted from a squad and being omitted from a first team. And whether he starts and whether he plays is completely different to whether he's in the squad. Um, successful sides at tournaments take players who 
aren't fit to play, if they are good for the balance of the squad, if they help other players, um, if they, you know, if they have a big personality, and Harry Kane is a huge part of that England setup now, and it would be, uh, to my mind anyway, it would be ridiculous to not take him if he's even, you know, eighty percent fit. But England's problem has always been that we have uh, a sort of mentality of. We have a star player mentality. We have a Ryder Rovers mentality. So, you know, we, we'll take a Wayne Rooney with a half-mended metatarsal. We'll take a David Beckham with the same. We've got to move on from that. And Southgate's got to move on from that. And, I mean, ultimately, the other thing is we've got lots of time to look at options and, you know, to have a look at somebody new like a Danny Ings in an England shirt or to give Tammy Abraham lots more time in an England shirt or to, I mean, I wouldn't, like, I know it sounds mad, but I wouldn't be completely adverse with the amount of attacking talent we've got to almost play in a sort of strikerless formation and having, you know, three massively creative players like, you know, Sancho Sterling, and I'm going to say it, Chris, Jack Grealish, of course you are. just to do the work, you know, of a striker ahead of them. Um, so, yeah. Definitely take him and definitely have him in the squad and definitely have him on the bench. But if he ain't fit, he ain't starting for me. Yeah, I'm, on the one hand, he's not going to have four more fitness. But being the captain, that doesn't mean anything either. Being the, the main goal-scoring threat, although that's what he is, doesn't mean as much as it might have done with those previous players. Because I don't think he is our best player. Um, so... What's interesting about it, I think, is that we've we've gone from suddenly a discussion um, that we've been having offline with Daniel Story, who is still on this podcast, by the way, um, about how Gareth Southgate is going to narrow his squad down to 23 because he, he picks big squads. And forward is going to be one of the areas he was going to have to, to um, shave down a little bit. Suddenly, we're a little bit bereft of options. Because we could be asking this question about Marcus Rashford. If they're both out for the season, or significant part of the season, we're then looking at Sancho and Sterling. Abraham, we don't know what the extent of his injury is yet. And then you've got Danny Ings, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, no England experience. Callum Wilson's the player with England experience. He's not been able to buy a goal up until this week. Since Was it September, his last Premier League goal? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. He's been really out of form, yeah. Hudson-Odoi, Grealish. So, if he's even training properly, Harry Kane is a part of the Euro squad. Easily, I think. And I think injuries are a part of that. The, the concern I have with him playing a little bit is that he's not quick back to form, is he? And it's, it's sort of nice that he's not going to play 65 games this season and then go to the Euros. But he struggles back sometimes, Harry Kane. And but also comes back too quickly from injury. I mean, he's mm. he's had a. I, I don't think he would ha- have had, and it's easy to say, you know, as a layman looking from the outside. But the perception seems to be that he wouldn't have had the record of injuries and the the sort of dips of forms that he's had if he had taken proper time off when he's had injuries in the past. All that said, I do agree with the pair of you. I do think if he's you know, able to train, then you take him. But you, you've talked on this podcast before about, and you've talked to me, Dave, about Joe Colin and mm. 
you bet your bottom dollar that he's going to get Joe Cole to death um, if he goes to that tournament, not quite 100% fit. It'll, you know, they'll draw the opening game and it'll be, oh, don't worry, it'll all be okay when Harry Kane's back fit. He's he's the magic man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you take him and as you rightly point out, Chris, there is a bit of a dearth of, of other fit and available forward options. Um What's Peter Crouch up to these days? <laughs> Never off my bloody tally. That's what he's up to. <laughs> yeah, that they've still got that. Do you know what? The, the, do either you, any of you watch Amazon Prime? Yes. There's an advert for their, whatever it's called, the Premier League show or whatever it's called, with Gabby Logan. And she says, I mean, they've been using the same trailer for this programme since before the season began. And she says VAR. Does anyone else say VAR? Doesn't everyone else say VAR? I it's think it's, really... it's crept in, hasn't it? It's happening now. That's what it's going to be, and I hate it. Why have we decided on VAR or VAR when we could have just said video ref, which sounds much less stupid? Branding. Technology. Uh, is a product. It's the technology's fault. <laughs> anyway, bit of a sidebar there. Any more from any more English people? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's got children born on English soil? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what is God. the neutral view on England's oh, yeah, take a, weird injury take, thing? Take Mac- Marcus Rashford as well and screw it up again, um, like you always do, by relying on a messiah um, who's got one leg. Yeah, it was custom pants uh, one year, though, remember? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it, uh, I think I, I kind of have some sympathy here when you look at the what's left when you say if you Kane and Rashford are both now injured, um, and then so what's left from England's squad? You've got Sterling, Sancho, Abraham, Wilson, and Hudson Odoi from the last squad. Nathan Redmond um, mm. was in a an England squad in the last twelve months, and then as mentioned again, Ings and Calvert Lewin are, are scoring goals and um, in the top fifteen in the Premier League so far this season. Like you, you've got players that and uh, Abraham is obviously. Um, started being in there, and then do you does Gareth Southgate go and speak to Jimmy Vardy and see if he wants to come back in? Um, so there, there is a little bit of sympathy that without both Rashford and Kane, uh, I guess England are a little bit light. But yeah, just fixating on both of those is not going to help um, the the build up. And having somebody like Jose Mourinho around, kind of stoking uh, stoking media interest and trying to divert attention away from his side mis- not performing or not getting the results that he would do or not quite um, having the effect that he would do. He will keep mentioning Kane and keep dan- dangling that rather than having to face up to any of his kind of failings with, with Spurs and, and the fact that they're now eighth in the Premier League. So uh, it's going to be get very boring very quickly, I imagine, towards the end of the season. Um I could understand if Harry Kane is in the squad um, because of uh, Rashford's injury more than anything else. That, um, there isn't that immediate backup. Um, and if he's going to be fit at some point in the tournament, why not? But as has been mentioned before, Kane doesn't recover well from injuries, probably because he tries to come back too soon. And I mean, Spurs will desperately need him if they kind of pick themselves up and are in that kind of in the in sniffing around fourth, um, Kane will probably play sooner than he's supposed to, um, which could then have an even more detrimental effect to the England squad because he'll be in because he has some kind of match fitness, 
but without form and perhaps um, having kind of forced himself to do too much of that injury. Luckily, he has a manager who's very well known for listening to his medical staff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other, the other thing that I'm not sure if we mentioned or not. Apologies, someone else, but he is the captain as well of England, which I think is a is a bigger thing than than any other. You know, than than we'd be talked about with Rashford, say, because obviously you'd want to have him around the camp even if you don't think he's going to be able to get on the pitch and kick a ball all game. Because he brings you, you the bant, Steve. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> he brings the bant. Yeah, that's exactly it. Fair no, enough. because, it, you know, it's, it's a young England squad and, you know, he's been to a couple of tournaments before. He's had success. He's had the opposite of success. Failure, that's what it's called. <laughs> easy easy to forget that word when you're, uh, when you're a Liverpool fan. But, um... Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. I'm very sorry, but you know, he's he's an experienced head. He's someone that everyone in the camp will look up to, and you know, at tournaments like that, you need to have characters like that around the camp. David Beckham wore the hell out of that suit, didn't he? Did he? Oh, I think we better leave it there. I'm going to get a bit funny. Um, Right, plugs time. We are back. Uh, we're going to try and do some podcasts and you can follow us at FTBL5spod on Twitter. There sorry. Is... sorry. FTBL5spod. Cool. Sorry, um, you sounded like you were yawning as you said that there. Well, don't want to give away too much. There is other stuff at swingsfootball.com including uh, me and Dave on the Styles Council which is our podcast about the England national team. Uh, Ryan, you, your golf pod I imagine is going to be... Um, returning at some point. Yeah, yeah, I released one uh, like a week ago. I recorded it pre-Christmas and then forgot to press publish. Um, so yeah, at I left a few um, on all the social medias. It's called Left a Few right there. It's all right. <laughs> I've not listened to it because it's about golf, sorry mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you don't like golf, then you won't uh, You won't enjoy it. You're not going to get much out of it. Dave, no. yeah. you're, you're a podcast polymath now. Yeah, I'm on too many, if I'm honest. I think you want to mention some of them. Absolutely, never shut up. Uh, what am I on, Chris? I'm on. I'm on. Beyond the touchline. Uh, yeah, beyond the touchline, which is my football culture pub with Seb, Patrick, and Dennis Hurley. Uh, the Examiner one with Steve, but I really would steer clear of that unless you're a Huddersfield Town fan, because you're just going to find yeah, it absolutely boring. Uh, I'm obviously on this, the England one with you. I forget what it's called. Chris, what's it called? Styles Council. I'm on the Styles Council. Uh, I'm not on any more, am I? Not at the moment, I don't think. Uh, and I'm on the it? Football Fives. And the Football Fives. Uh, oh, I love the Football Fives. <laughs> uh, right. Um, you can also listen to Footy, footy Fidelity which is my podcast with Steve, and also at fixfootball.com. Uh, and we'll be back next week. Cheerio. See you there. Bye. Bye. Philippe Albert.